Good morning, Lakeview Church. I think that is the last commercial like that you're going to see for a little while. We've been going through the decades, and we just want to make sure everybody felt at home. So uh, one of those, if you remember those from your growing up years, may be connected with you. We've been in this series, The Game of Life, and today is the last message in that series. And uh, we're going to kind of walk through uh, the final installment of the Game of Life series. Before we do that, though, I just want to say a special welcome to everyone who is here in the room especially those of you who are college students. Uh, I think we saved this commercial specifically for you because it did reference going to college. So congratulations, you're winning at the game of life because you're going to college. So we're so glad that you're here and I want to just welcome you. Uh, And again, just want to reiterate what Pastor Mark said. If you are here for the very first time, we'd love for you to fill out that communication card. There'll be some instructions at the end of the service for what you do with those, but we'd love for you just to complete that. And then we've got a gift that we'd love to share with you if this is your first time here. So we hope that you'll do that. Um, And then I also want to just look right in the camera as I always do every week and just welcome those who are joining us online. I know so many of you do that every week and wherever you're at today, whether you're watching this live in this moment or on demand sometime later, we're so very glad that you're here and we just want to say a very special welcome to you. So Lakeview, can we just welcome those who are joining us online today? Now, throughout this series, we've been looking at various different components of real life. We've kind of used the game of life as a way to kind of get us into some topics that we think are important for real life. And we, we began this series back at the beginning of August by talking about the object of the game. And you might remember that we were talking about the importance of discovering our purpose and living out of everything that God has for us and, and really understanding the object of the game and directing our lives to that end. We, we spent some time talking about decision making and we talked about biblical filters that would help us begin to make better decisions in life. We spent some time talking about how to have a right perspective of money, that money is always vying to become our God, but Jesus taught us in Matthew chapter 6 that you can't serve God and money, you've got to pick one and we said it's better to pick the real God and let him be Lord of your life and trust him for peace and provision as you walk through your days. And then last week, we, we spent some time digging into the scriptures to figure out how in the world do we adjust and adapt to the curveballs that life will throw at us. This morning, we're gonna end the series by talking about how to navigate relationships. And to do that, we're gonna study a passage of scripture in the book of Colossians. So New Testament book of Colossians, and we're gonna be in chapter three today. And we're gonna just unpack this passage of scripture together. We've really looked at several letters that Paul has written. Remember, Paul was a first century church leader. He was absolutely 100% opposed to the Christian faith. He, He was doing everything that he could do to work against it, and then he was, just miraculously converted on the road to Damascus. And Jesus got a hold of his life, completely turned him around. And then Paul began to travel around because he was so consumed by who Jesus was and the calling that Jesus had placed on his life. He went to all of these cities in the first century and he would go there and he would share the gospel and he would gather believers and he would raise up leaders for this new local church. And then he would then travel on to the next place and he would write letters back to these churches to instruct them, to guide them, to develop them, to help them become everything that God wanted them to be. Some of these letters address problems or issues or misunderstandings, but but he would write these letters and give guidance to the local church. Those letters really form most of the New Testament. Right? When, you, when you really go back and look at the New Testament, most of them are these letters that Paul wrote to these churches that he had started. And we're going to look at one of those letters today. It was a letter that he wrote to a group of Christians in the city of Colossae. And, and we're going to unpack, in particular, this kind of heart of the letter in Colossians chapter 3. And this passage that we're going to unpack together really is a passage that I think lays out the Christian life in whole. It, it talks about the starting point of the Christian life, and it talks about the journey that we all are called to take as followers of Jesus, and then it, it kind of aims us at the result or the end target that God has for us. And so we're going to kind of look at this passage, but I want to do it differently, surprise, surprise, by starting at the end 
Because I actually think when we talk about the Christian faith, we spend an awful lot of time talking to people about how we begin the journey and not enough time talking about where the journey is aimed to end at. And so what ends up happening is we get so consumed with getting people started in the right way, and we want people to know that the Christian journey is not a journey of your works. It's a journey of faith. You put your faith in God and and in the work that he's done for you, and God transforms you on the inside. And so we talk an awful lot about how we begin the journey, but we don't talk about how it's supposed to end up in our lives. And so what ends up happening is that we start to think that Christianity is a matter of the heart. And it is. I want to be really clear. It is a matter of the heart, but it's not intended to stay in your heart. It's intended to work its way out into every bit of your life in this world. But we spend so much time talking about you're saved by grace through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. And all of that is 100% correct. I'm not denying any of that. I'm just telling you that faith without works is dead. And I want to talk to us about the end of the journey. So we're going to start at the end of Colossians chapter 3. If you have a Bible, I'd love for you to turn there. So if you've got one of those old-fashioned paper copies, you can turn there, or you can open up that device. Or if you don't have a Bible, you can just direct your attention to the screen, uh, because we're going to put it up there for you. But we're going to kind of look at the end of this passage and talk about where is this life intended to go? And, and in essence, what I want to do as we think about Colossians chapter 3, I want you to think about an archer who draws back the bowstring and lets the arrow fly. I want you to think about that moment of letting the arrow go as the starting point of the Christian journey. I want you to think about the flight of the arrow, the path and trajectory that the arrow goes on. I want you to think about that as the Christian journey. And then I want you to think about the target that that arrow is aimed at as kind of the goal that Jesus has for us. And so we're going to start with the target, just like a good archer would. They are thinking about what they're aiming at before they ever draw back the string. I want us to have that target in mind. And and the way that we find that target, I think, is by looking at Colossians chapter 3. And I want to direct your attention to verses 16 and 17. This is what it says. Let the message about Christ in all of its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom that he gives, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. I think it's important for us to begin here because I think that the target that Paul has in mind for the Christian life is that if we're going to be faithful in becoming everything that God wants us to be, what what Jesus wants to do through your life is he wants you to be a representative of the Lord Jesus everywhere you go and in everything that you do. Make no mistake about it, the Christian journey begins in your heart, but it's supposed to show up everywhere. In in everything that you do, in every interaction that you have, every word that you say, every social media post that you make, yes, even there, you're supposed to be a representative of the Lord Jesus. Shall we have an altar call right now? (laughs) Everywhere, whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus. You see, here's the goal of the Christian life, that your life, the one that you live every single day, Monday through Saturday, and then come to church on Sunday and bring that person into this room. Yes, every day, everywhere you go, you are supposed to be living your life as if Jesus were living his life in your place. That's the goal of the Christian journey, that that we would be Jesus in every relationship, every interaction, every environment. This is what we are called to. And again, it begins in our hearts. 
but it's supposed to show up in every part of our existence, even in your relationships. In fact, I think when Paul says whatever you do or say, he has relationships clearly in mind. Because the reality is, is that our life is only lived in relationships. Like when you, when you think about where you show up in the world, it is in relationships. It's with the people who know you best. It's with the people that you work with. It's the people you live next door to. It's the people who you share a suite with if you are a college student. And if you knew them, congratulations. If you didn't, I pray for you that it will go well this semester, okay? It's all in relationships. That's where our faith shows up because here's the reality. The Christian faith is intended to be embodied. It is something that begins in our heart, but Christianity is intended to be lived in this body in front of others. Whatever you do, whatever you say, be in that space in front of those people as representatives of the Lord Jesus. And if you don't believe me that that's what Paul had in mind, just look at what comes next. Beginning in verse 18 and 19, what does he talk about? He talks about marriage. He tells husbands how they're supposed to treat their wives and wives how they're supposed to treat their husbands. Why? Because whatever you do or say in your marriage... You are a representative of Jesus to your spouse. Be a representative of him in that space. And he moves directly in the next two verses to talk about how parents should treat their children and how children should treat their parents. Why? Because parents and children are intended to be representatives of the Lord Jesus to each other. And then the next few verses, starting in verse 22 down through chapter 4, verse 1, Paul talks about an issue that we in our culture might find a bit uncomfortable to talk about. But I'm going to talk about it anyway. Because that's kind of what I do. In this passage of scripture, he talks about slaves and masters. Now, we have problems when we address this issue in our culture today because with our understanding of slavery, we would say, man, is the Bible really saying that there should be masters and there should be slaves? And I want to just speak to that this morning. I want to be real clear about it. This passage of scripture is talking about something that existed in the first century, the word used for slave here is the word doulos. It literally means bondservant. It is literally someone who, because of a legal or economic arrangement, is owned by another person. They, they are owned by their master. And that's what we have in this passage of scripture. And listen, just take a deep breath. It's going to be okay. So I can see the discomfort, okay? Just take a deep breath, okay? This passage is not being prescriptive. It's not telling us what to do. It's telling us something that was true in the first century. It's being descriptive. We don't have to like the fact that there were masters and slaves in the first century, but we can't go back and change it. It happened. It was a real part of their culture, and it was common, and it was accepted. Again, this is not a verse saying, thou shalt have slaves. It's not what the Bible's saying. I want to just be real, real clear about that. The Bible does not condone that in any way. And as we think back on our history in the United States of America, we should just be real clear that what happened in our history is not right and it does not align with the heart of God. 
in the same way that modern-day slavery, which is growing rapidly, primarily due to the growing sex industry in our world, is a danger to infants and children and teens and even adults who literally are snatched away from life as they know it and enslaved in this day and in this time, that too is wrong and it is sinful and it saddens the heart of God. I want to be real clear about that. But I also want you to understand that when Paul's writing to the church, he has to write to slaves and to masters. You know why? Because the gospel was reaching both of them. The gospel was inviting them into this new community and they were being brought into the church and Paul's saying, whatever you do, Whatever you say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus. So slaves, and he says, I know some of you have masters, and they're not very kind to you. They're oppressing you. They're mistreating you. You're in in a situation that is unjust, and it's wrong. But while you're there in that space, you better be a representative of the Lord Jesus because you're part of this new community now. And you don't get a pass because you're in a bad situation. No, you've got to represent Jesus even there. And by the way, Jesus, when he came, Philippians chapter 2, 1 Timothy of the church, do you know what word they used to refer to what Jesus became for us? Doulas, a bondservant for us. He took the lowest form of servanthood to save us and to redeem us. And you can imagine slaves singing that hymn in the first church and being reminded we're supposed to be like Jesus wherever we go and whatever we say. And then Paul recognizes that sitting right next to those slaves in the same pew, although they didn't sit in pews because they just met in homes, but, but sitting right next to them on the couch in the living room, of the house church that they attended was a master. And he says to the masters, hey, remember, when you treat your slaves, you do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, so you better treat them with his character and his nature and his love. And then he reminds the masters, because at the end of the day, you have a master, and his name is Jesus, and you serve him. Say, what does this mean for us today and why in the world will we spend so much time on it? Well, because some of you find yourself in a position of power in our culture and you could mistreat those that are under your power. I just want to remind you today, you in that place, whatever you do or say as a person with power in our culture, you ought to do that as a representative of the Lord Jesus because whatever power you think you have, you serve one who is all-powerful and you are his servant. And if you find yourself today in a situation where you're being treated unjustly, unfairly, you're being oppressed, you're being mistreated, just remember You're not exempt from being a representative of the Lord Jesus, even in that situation. Whatever we do, whatever we say, wherever we are, no matter the circumstance, no matter the situation, you're supposed to do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus in that place. One more relationship that Paul talks about. You got to go down to chapter four, verses five and six, and you find Paul saying, and as you interact with, he calls them outsiders, people who are not in the church. And you got to understand, this was a real clear picture in the first century, because in the first century, in order to come into the church, you had to be baptized. There was actually, in the earliest days of the church, there was actually a two-part service. There was like an intermission And if you weren't baptized at the intermission, you were dismissed. Have a great week. God bless you. Those of us who are baptized are going to hang around for the rest of the service. It wouldn't fly so well today, I understand. 
But that's how it was in the first century. There were literally people who had joined the community by being baptized. They had publicly professed their faith in Jesus. They'd gone through a discipleship process. They had actually been baptized and they were welcomed into the church body. And then there were people who were outside of the church. They didn't know Jesus. They hadn't made a decision to follow him and and they were not baptized yet. And Paul says, when you're dealing with those people, make sure that you're wise in the way that you deal with them. In some letters, Paul writes to churches and he says to them, hey, if there are people inside of the church who aren't living up to the standards of the community, you should kick them out. But, but there are places where when Paul says that, he says, but you should never do that to outsiders. You, you only get to judge people inside the church because they've made a commitment to follow Jesus. People on the outside, they get grace and mercy because we want to win them into the kingdom of God. We have to have wisdom towards outsiders. And, and I, I just want to um, kindly remind you that everything you do reflects on the name of Jesus if you are a Christian. So when you post on social media, even there, there are people watching And I am pleading with you to have wisdom in the way that you face the world around us. Because I have conversations with people who are outside the church and they will talk to me about people that they know who claim the name of Christ. And you know what they point to a lot? They point to the way that you talk about politics and the way that you talk about issues in our culture and they say, how can that person be a Christian because their posts are filled with such hateful language? This is an issue in our day. I'm just encouraging you, be wise in the way that you point yourself towards the world because we are the billboard for Jesus. People will want to love Jesus, but if our lives aren't reflecting him well, we become a barrier. That's why Paul is saying, no, the the, the aim, the target of the Christian life is that we should have God-honoring relationships, that everything we do, everything we say, everywhere we go, every interaction of our lives ought to reflect Jesus well. And when you really think about that, you realize this is impossible. I mean, have you met people? (laughs) Like, it is really hard to be like Jesus towards some people. Can I get an amen? Amen. And you realize this is impossible for us in every situation to show up and be Jesus in front of that person. Have you met my boss? Have you met my coworker? Have you met my next door neighbor? Have you met my spouse? Have you seen my kids? And some kids are saying, have you met my parents? This is impossible for us to live as Jesus in every situation. So how in the world do we get there? This brings me to the transformation. If we have a target that we would have God-honoring relationships, in order to get there, we have to experience transformation. And I think that in order for us to be transformed, to become who Jesus wants us to be in every situation and in every circumstance, we have to have a spirit-empowered journey of discipleship. And I've chosen those words very carefully because because some of you are failing at the Christian life because you're trying to do it in your own strength and in your own power. And what you need to hear today is you need to have a spirit-empowered journey of discipleship, emphasis on spirit-empowered, because you cannot change yourself to be that what God wants us to be on your own. You're not that good. You're not that smart. You're not that strong. 
And this is where the self-help culture around us hurts the process of discipleship because we receive Jesus in our hearts and then we decide that now it's up to us to become the best version of ourselves. And I'm telling you, if you're trying to help yourself, you're going to be without much help. You need something outside of you to help you become who God wants you to be. And that comes through the life of the Holy Spirit at work in you. But this is not a call for you to do nothing. Some of you may have said, it's up to the Spirit to transform me. So I'm just going to sit back and relax. And I'm telling you, while I wish that were the way it worked, the reality is, is that it is powered by the Spirit, but you have to play a role. That's why it's Spirit-empowered discipleship. You have to engage the process. It's a cooperative work between you and God, emphasis on the work of God because transformation is a miracle and you can't do that by yourself. But God has decided to invite you into the journey to say, I want you to make yourself available and when you do, I will show up and do things for you that you cannot do for yourself. This is what discipleship is, and you see it in Colossians chapter 3. If you look, there are kind of two parts to the discipleship journey. The, the first one is putting to death the old way of living. And some of you, you came to faith in Jesus, and maybe you thought the old way is just magically gone, and then Monday happened, and you were like, I thought I was done with that. No, there's a process of discipleship where you put to death the old way of living. And you see it in verses five through nine. This is what it says. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. I want to call time out there. And just draw attention to these words because because the word sexual immorality in this passage of scripture, is an, it's an umbrella term in the original Greek. It's the word porneia. It's the word we get our word fornication from. And it is a catch-all term. It is a term used in the New Testament to describe any kind of sexual behavior that is outside of the clear boundaries God has set for sexuality. I want to be real clear about this. God himself created sex. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. It's godly and God-honoring when it is done in the context for which it was designed to occur. And that is the context between one biological male married to one biological female in the covenant of marriage. That is where sex occurs if it is going to please and honor God. And any other kind of sex any kind, outside of that relationship is porneia. It is sexual immorality. And we have a culture right now that would tell you, do whatever you want to do. And we, do, we have a hard time believing that there could ever be a God who could say, oh, if it makes you happy, you shouldn't do it. We just can't imagine a God who would tell us you should avoid that even if it makes you feel good. And, and the reason we have a hard time doing that is because we like hedonism. I mean, I'm just telling you like it is. We want what we want, and that's called humanity. This is why we need transformation. Because God says, oh, I've designed it to happen this way, and if it happens in any other way, it's not pleasing to God. And we've got to stay within the boundaries. And, and we argue these things with our culture, but, but part of the problem we have is that we start with our opinions. Don't do that. I, I always start the same place. I follow the God of the Bible, and I start with his scripture. I build my arguments from there. Because if I start with my opinions, I will end in a bad place. But when I start with the word of God, 
It may not be popular, but it will be right. Now, he talks about sexual immorality, which deals with actions, but then immediately says impurity and lust and evil desires, because it's not just about behaving correctly, it's about having the right internal attitudes and mindsets. And again, who can, who can make this transition in our lives? We can't. We need the help of God. We need a miracle. Let's keep reading, because I'm going to run out of time. He says, don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater. When, when you're a greedy person, he says, you're worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world, but now is the time to get rid of your anger and rage and malicious behavior, slander and dirty language. Don't lie to each other. For you've stripped off your sinful nature and all of its wicked deeds. You see what discipleship is? It's about taking off the clothes of the old life. It's literally the picture that's being, being talked about here. You take off that old dirty coat. You get rid of it. You strip it away because it's the stuff that relates to your former way of living. You, you experience transformation. And part of that transformation is putting to death the old way of living. And then look at verse 10, where he says, you got to put on some other clothes. Take off the old stuff, but then put on your new nature, verse 10, and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and you become like him in this new life. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. Since God chose you to be the holy people that he loved, clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves, there's that language again, with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony, and let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts, for as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Now, I want you to catch what, what Paul's saying here. Paul's not saying, hey, uh, have enough willpower that when someone treats you poorly, you can muster up kindness in that moment. That's not what he's saying. He's actually saying, I want you to become a kind person. Not just a person who's capable of being kind in a moment, but I want your entire disposition to be kind. He's not saying, uh, work really hard so that you can stir up compassion at the right moments and be a really compassionate per person when it counts. He's saying, I actually want to transform your heart and make you compassionate all the time. I want this to be the disposition of your life. And with each one of these, not just loving in a moment, but loving as a person. You understand what he's saying? He's saying, I want you to be like Jesus. Not just capable of acting like Jesus in a moment. I want you to be like him all the time. So that when you show up, you are a representative of the Lord Jesus. As if it were Jesus in front of your annoying neighbor. Or Jesus in front of your oppressive, unjust boss. Or be like Jesus to the spouse that isn't quite where you wish they were in their own journey. He wants to make us like Jesus. And I just want to be really clear. This requires a miracle. This isn't willpower. It's not self-help. It's not good goal setting and good strategies for living. This is you need the work of God in the depths of your being where you can't, you can't get there. You need God to get there and do surgery in your life and change the bent of your nature, which is away from God. It needs to be bent back towards God so that you are becoming everything he wants you to be. This is the old-fashioned message of holiness. 
which is just as relevant today as it's ever been, that we would allow the Spirit of God to go deep inside of our lives and actually change the very nature of who we are. So those of us who were once sinners are now holy in the presence of God. And you can't do that on your own. You have to open your life to the Spirit's work. We've talked about the target that we would show up in every relationship as Jesus, which is impossible if we're working in our own strength. Let's just be real clear. It's impossible. But Jesus has made it possible through the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives to change us and transform us, to make us into the very image and nature of Jesus. So how does this journey begin? We go back to the very beginning of Colossians chapter three where we discover the turning point that every single one of us is invited into. You see, the journey that's been marked out in Colossians chapter three, the journey of transformation that leads us to being able to hit the target Showing up as Jesus in every situation, whatever you do, whatever you say, be representatives of the Lord Jesus. That transformation leading to that target all begins at this turning point moment where we turn from death to life. Remember, Paul's writing to Christians. He's writing to people who have already come to know who Jesus is. And when he writes to them, he says, you used to be this, but now you're this. Why? Because they turned around. They started going a different direction. See, and here's the reality in our lives. Every single one of us, every single one of us, we are born into this life, and we are born as sinful beings. There is not a single person in the sound of my voice in this room or joining us online today that that would be able to say, I've never sinned. Yes, you have. And what's even more troubling is not just that you have sinned, but that in your very nature, you are sinful. It's just the human condition. And this would be horrible news for us because we're all going down a path which Romans 6.23 says leads to death. The wages of sin is death. There's got to be a payment for sin. And if, if you're not willing to accept the payment that has been made, you will pay for it with death. And you will spend eternity separated from the one who is life. It's the way it works. But the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that while the wages of sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life. We're going on one path which is leading to death. It's a path of sin, but Jesus has made a way for us to turn and go a different direction, to move from death to life. This is the gospel. This is why Jesus came. It's why Romans 5, 8 says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were still on the pathway to sin and death, Jesus died for us. That's why I begin every morning just thanking Jesus that he paid the price for my sin because he made it possible for me to move from death to life. He invites us to turn around and go a different direction. This is the turning point that every single one of us is invited into, that we would accept the solution that Jesus has made possible for the problem of our sin and that we would enter into the life that he has for us. And just by confessing, Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if we can confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. And Jesus himself said in John 1, 12, to all who believed in him, he gave them the right to be called the children of God. And in Romans chapter 8, one of the most beautiful passages of scripture where we are told the spirit of God is given to us and the very spirit of God testifies with our spirit that we are children of God and it's by that spirit that we've been adopted into his family and we can now call God our father. This is the turning point 
point that every single one of us is invited into. But we're studying Colossians chapter three, and I want you to hear the way Paul says it in this passage. He says, since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. Right here at the turning point is the seed of the life that Paul is pointing us to in Colossians chapter 3. Your life isn't yours. It's hidden. The only life that can be seen now is the life of Jesus. And if you just give yourself fully to him, your life will be completely hidden by who Jesus is. And when you walk into that tough work environment, they will see Jesus. And when you deal with that annoying neighbor or that sweet mate that won't clean the bathroom, you can be Jesus in that moment. And for some of you, when you deal with that unbelieving spouse who just doesn't quite understand why you love Jesus so much, just keep being Jesus to that person. You can do it because your life isn't yours anymore. You died and your real life is now hidden inside of Jesus. So this morning with every head bowed and every eye closed, I just wanna give you an opportunity this morning couple groups of people, one group. Some of you have been trying to live the Christian life in your own power and your own strength and your own effort, and it's tiring. It's worn you down. You actually have had questions. Does the Christian life even work? And if you're doing it in your own power, the answer is no, it doesn't work. But if you'll open yourself to the power of the Spirit of God, you will find the strength and the power and the energy that you need to become everything that God wants you to be because it will be God doing the work in you. And here's the beautiful thing. If you need the Spirit in your life, Jesus said, all you have to do is ask because even evil fathers know how to give good gifts to their children. How much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? If you need the Holy Spirit today, just ask the father to fill you up and believe in faith what his scripture promises and you will receive what you need. And if that's you today and you want a new outpouring of the Spirit's power in your life, I wanna just encourage you to raise your hand because I wanna say a prayer for you. If that's you this morning, just raise up your hand. Say, I want the power of the Spirit in my life in a new way. There are hands going up. Yeah, hands back here. Anyone else? God, I'm praying for every person right now who just by the raising of their hand has said, I want a new outpouring, or maybe for the first time, an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in their life. God, I believe what your scripture says, that if we ask, you will give the Holy Spirit to us. So I pray in Jesus' name and in the authority of the scriptures that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on these who have raised their hands. And even if they didn't raise their hand, if right now by faith, they're crying out to you, would you pour out the Holy Spirit? Transform them, change them, make them new, I pray. And then there are some of you in the room today, you've never experienced the turning point of life. You've never put your faith in Jesus. You've never died to this life so that you could find real life in Jesus. And right now, God is knocking on the door of your heart. Like it says in Revelation 3.20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone would open the door, I will come in 
and we'll have a relationship. We'll have fellowship. We'll have intimacy and connection. This is what God wants for you. And if you're here today and you've never put your faith in Jesus, but you'd like to do that, I want to just invite you right now with no one looking around. And I promise I will not embarrass you. I'm not inviting you forward. I'm not inviting you to make a public profession. We'll do that at baptism. I'm just simply saying today, do you want to receive Jesus in your life? Do you want to turn around, move from death to life? If that's you today, I just want you to raise your hand right where you're at. And I want to lead you in a prayer. Anybody? Just raise up your hand. I see your hand. Anybody else? I see that hand in the back. If you raised your hand today, or even if you didn't raise your hand, maybe you just didn't have the courage to do it, but in your heart you want to turn to Jesus, just say this prayer, Lord, I thank you that you've made a way for me to move from death to life. You've made it possible for me to experience the turning point. And today, I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. I believe in my heart that you raised him from the dead and I give my life to Jesus today in this moment. I am dying to myself and to my old way of living and I am allowing my life to now be hidden in Christ and I want to find my real life in him and in him alone put my faith in you, Jesus, and I thank you for forgiving my sin and changing my life. And if you prayed that prayer today, just thank him for the work that he's done in making you a child of God, adopting you into his family. And God, for the work that you are doing in this room right now, we give you all the thanks and all the praise and all the glory and all the honor. You and you alone are worthy. And we praise you today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Congregation, can we just celebrate what God is doing? I want to invite Pastor Mark to come back. He's going to give us some instructions to close out our service, and then we'll celebrate the Lord before we head out of here today. Wow, wasn't that awesome? God spoke to me through that. I hope God spoke through you. We're going to move into our time of collection right now, and uh, if you're helping out with that, would you just please take your positions at this time? We're going to get, offer you two different ways uh, that you can put something in the uh, in the bucket this morning. First is our tithes and offerings. We believe that God works through us or uses us through his generosity, especially for the ministry of the kingdom. And here it's what we're doing in all different places, all kind of ways. And so as you feel led to do that, we would appreciate if you would allow God to work through you. And that's God's mission is for us to follow through and experience that. The second way is through placing your communication card. I think it, they're in your, you're in your bulletin. And this morning, if you're a guest with us, we want to make sure that you drop that in, in the bucket this morning. And then as you leave this morning, if you would go directly back to our welcome center, right back there, we would love to offer you and give you a free gift this morning. Uh, of our way of saying thank you for joining us and uh, being a part of this today. Um, we want to bless you today through that giving. Now, also on the communication card, if you're a guest today, there are places that you can check off or you can let us know, whether it's a prayer request, whether it's a first-time commitment to Christ, whether you want to uh, be a part of a, a, a small group, whatever that is, we take those seriously. What you mark on there, especially prayer requests, we want to make sure that we are we are there to serve you, I guess is the best way to say it. And so we want to encourage you to do that this morning as you're filling out that card. Let us know and we'll get back in touch with you. And if you want to take the next steps because we are next step church or community, we want to make sure that you do it. So now let's continue with our worship and um, thanking God for what he's done. Amen.
bag of bones I try with all my might I just can't win the fight I'm slowly drifting A vagabond Just when I